Welcome to Talking Shop with Teresa and Lee. Talking Shop is the premier podcast for metaphysical entrepreneurs and sacred artists who are looking for a little ESP, that is, extra sensible perspectives on the business of running a metaphysical business. My name is Teresa Reed, and I'm known as the Tarot Lady. And you can find me at www.thetarotlady.com. And I want to bring in my very gorgeous and wonderful sidekick, this Brianna Saucy. Are you in the house? I am. Hello, everyone. It's so great to be with you all this evening. I am Brianna Saucy, and you can find me at www.briannasaucy.com. Well, I am very thrilled about the show we're doing tonight, and we're going to talk for one brief second about that Mercury retrograde business, um, because tonight's show is about how to be a kind entrepreneur, and you know, we always have a metaphysical slant on our show. And the last uh, about a week or so, we've been under this Mercury retrograde in Libra. And Mercury retrograde in Libra is all about our relationships and how we're communicating with people. And I don't know about you, Bree, but I found that it's been bringing out some very strange things in people, particularly when I've talked to my clients and peers. There's been a lot of uh, very passive-aggressive or sometimes aggressive energy. And, and sometimes it's been directed at people from, like, you know, family members or clients or peers or whatnot. I don't know if you've experienced any of that, but this for people like us, I think when we are dealing with that type of energy, it's very hard to find um, a really proper way to deal with that stuff. So I think tonight's show hopefully is going to give us some ideas about how to do that. What about you? Have you experienced any of that over the last week or so? Yes, absolutely. You know, I am a Libra, and so I'm really sensitive to this Mercury in retrograde, but as I was saying earlier, some of my beloved students and clients have been having some issues this time around. There's been some, you know, as you said, passive aggression happening, and then, as I say, active aggression (laughs) happening, Mm -hmm. not so passive. And, um, And, you know, I think that it's always out there, right? That's one of the reasons why we love Randy and we love her work, um, because it's all—it's always out there. It's always something that we have to deal with, but it, you really see it, like, at certain times of the year, and I think Mercury in retrograde is one of those periods where it's just like, wow, okay, people are, are really not being as cognizant about the words they're using and the behavior that they're engaging with other people with. And also, on the flip side, of our boundaries, and that is really what we're going to talk about tonight. The focal point of our show is if you've ever felt like a business doormat or guilty, if you've ever felt guilty for saying no, which I would love to say, everybody raise your hand if you felt guilty for saying no, because I know it would be everyone. This is the show for you, and the whole thesis of the show is that you can be kind without being a pushover, which... I think it's kind of a revelatory idea, right? Yes, because, you know, a lot of times when we are dealing with people who push our buttons, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I can go into rage mode really fast. And the older I get, the more I've been practicing with meditation and yoga. I've gotten away from being that type of reaction. But, you know, you still feel a kick in the gut when someone's mean or doesn't like your work or doesn't like the kind of stuff you're doing or all of a sudden they decide for some reason they have a, an issue with you. And when that happens in business, it really, again, just feels like a kick in the gut. So tonight, the person that we are bringing on is the absolute best person 
to deal with this issue. In fact, she has a wonderful program that I've taken called Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. We are talking tonight to Randy Buckley. She is a revered life coach. She is involved in the Norwegian Language Village, and she's the creator of not only Healthy Boundaries for Kind People, but also Maybe Baby. And you can find her at www.randybuckley.com. Hello, Randy. Hello there. Thank you. This is really cool. Thank you for having me. Well, we are delighted to have you here because, you know, Randy, um, I think I can speak for most people who work in these metaphysical fields, these sacred artist fields, mm-hmm. or, you know, what you want to call woo-woo careers. A lot of us are pretty sensitive people. You know, the mm-hmm. guys, too. It's not just the women. We are very sensitive people, and we care, and sometimes we care a lot to the point where I think it can be detrimental to our own health and our own business health. Mm-hmm. So a show like this, we think, is something that's going to be helping people a lot. So what we want to start out by asking you is, how do we serve our clients but make sure that we are being respected as well? This is kind of a loaded question, but I think that's a great one to start us out. It is. It's a really good question. To serve your clients and be respected as well at the same time. Um, I think one of the, and sometimes this is a real shift for people, but to consider being respected an act of service to your clients. Mm. And I, I can say more, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, actually, I really, say more. <laughs> really looking at that as a, a really crucial ingredient uh, in how you relate to people. So respect has to be a part of that equation, so that you can do your service and uh, be in the best service. So just like uh, you generally don't feel guilty for requiring oxygen uh, to breathe that allows you to serve people. And you generally don't feel bad for having skin, which gives you structure. Um, Having respect to be a part of the equation is actually something that also benefits them because it helps you be at your best. But then it also pushes respect into the equation, which is in service to them because now they are in a place of respect. That makes total sense. And, um, oh, good. <laughs> yes, no, that actually makes total sense. You know, it's like setting an intention is what you're saying. Yes, yes. It's, um, I think I look at it as, you know, I, I, re- I require a laptop to do my work. Mm-hmm. Without a laptop, I can't do it. But I also require respect. Without that, I cannot do my work as well. Um, and that goes both ways and requires that I also offer lots of respect, even at times when it doesn't feel like it necessarily wants to come. I, I need to at least put that forward. But it has to be a crucial ingredient. Um, and, and for some people, that's diff- different what those crucial ingredients are. But that has to be in there in order for you to do that and to be in service at all. I like I like what you said, that, you know, you also respect your clients, you know, there's a great deal of respect in that it's working both ways, it's reflexive, and, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me wonder if it's really possible to respect your clients if you're not also expecting them to respect you. Mm. You know, yes. if, it, if it's yes. not a, that respect always has to be a two-way street for it to really be showing up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's, and, you know, sometimes I, I think, in terms of boundaries as a whole, I see 
a lot of people asserting boundaries in business and really going to the extreme to where they actually get really punitive uh, almost in advance for people not honoring their boundaries. And what I think that does often in, in its individual, but it almost puts a lack of respect in the table, and that, are, that, that too poisons the well, so to speak. So it definitely has to go both ways. And, and sometimes when somebody um, – might be coming to you and they're in a really crappy situation and they're seeking services. If you don't feel that respect right away, try an act of kindness. Be very respectful back. And usually that's enough to shock somebody's system, so to speak, to where they step back into that place. Because it's almost mm -hmm. like you're saying, I know this is in, in there within you. And so I'm going to show this to you. And nine times out of ten or even a better statistic, they rise up to meet that. Mm -hmm. When they don't, that's when um, your intuition was probably right all along and they're not a good match. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So do you think then that is the way you start deciding to set boundaries, that you try kindness first, and then if they're coming back at you with the same set of negativity that that is going to be your sign to set the boundary? I mean, how do you know when you need to set boundaries? I, I already start off with boundaries, mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm really clear what they are, and I can offer um, a couple of metaphors that work really well for me about what that looks like. But I, I really do feel that boundaries are a container for our lives. And in different situations, we have different boundaries, and that container then becomes the space where you live or in the case, the room, so to speak, of, um, in your house where you do business. So that is already, it, particularly, it, it's so much easier if that's already in place. It's so, it's very much the ounce of prevention is greater than a pound of cure or equal to, or I think it's greater. <laughs> um, but I start with boundaries, and then it's an easy path to help walk somebody down because I'm, I'm not fumbling in the dark for. Um, which way to go. I have these stepping stones already in place that make it so much easier for somebody to walk down. So if you don't, you know, when do you need to set boundaries? So I think before and when you have them, and you can also be very kind in how you assert and help somebody learn about your boundaries, and we can talk about that. But um, it's really akin to giving somebody your instruction manual that says, this is how to get me at my best. This is how I work. I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of us wish <laughs> when we had children that came with an instruction manual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah. This is the instruction manual. Um, and so when I can be really clear with my clients up front, I see that as an act of kindness. That's uh, That clarity and the putting that forward is saying, hey, to get me at my best, this is this is how I work, and I have had nobody ever balk at that. Um, I've had people come back with clarifying questions, which is great. I appreciate that, but I've never had anybody balk at that. And if they did, that would be a really good sign that, and a really a sign I'd be really grateful for that we would not be a good fit. Yeah. So I want to I want to piggyback off of that because I think that that yeah. is is really insightful. Um, you know, a lot of sacred artists, a lot of our metaphysical business owners, especially those who are starting out or fairly new, taking this professionally um, mm -hmm. to the professional level, they're afraid to say no 
and often they equate a boundary with saying no or making it more difficult to, to work with them. And they're afraid of doing that. They're afraid of saying no. They're afraid of creating any kind of boundary because they're worried that they will lose people. They will lose business. They will lose you know, followers, whatever it is that they're, that they're trying to get. So what do you, how do you respond to that? Mm. So, um, you, you know, for me, I've always been fine with um, saying no to people um, who weren't good matches in, in losing followers. What's the thing for me in the past, I often had to say yes because it was a financial issue. And mm -hmm. so I might have had to suck it up a little bit. And I think particularly when you're starting, that's not – uncommon or you know something happens and then you have to deal with that too i think it you you might lose somebody and that is going to be <laughs> the blessing in disguise um it's much easier to find out at the beginning of any relationship that it's not a good match than to find out later that yeah, this was true. a disaster um i'll equate it to um somebody dating a narcissist I am really happy to tell my little sister to say, you know, <laughs> we may want to look at this um, as opposed to three years later having a really messy situation on the hands. And so you might well lose a client or two. That doesn't mean you're going to lose all of them. In fact, I think from an energetic perspective, you get the, the people who are not a good match. So you're making way for the people who are. And it mm. really shifts the dynamic. It really um, – starts to draw those people in because if you have nine fantastic clients and one who's just not a good match or toxic, whatever the reason might be, guess what? You have a toxic pool. So the whole pond everybody's trying to drink from, to some degree, even if they're not interacting, they're still drinking from your well, so to speak, that is all tainted. Yes, lose the client. It might hurt in the short term, but you've completely purified this well from which everybody else drinks. And guess what? Now they're being nourished. Their thirst is being quenched. More people can come in. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. So here's a question now talking about piggyback that I want to ask both sure. of you. And I want to ask you this too, Bree. Uh, I've got a lot of boundaries in place because I tend to be, you know, a little bit soft-hearted. And one of the things that has really hurt me in the past, and I've been in business a long time, so I've had to learn the hard way about this boundary stuff, was people not respecting my time. That was a mm -hmm. big one. I would mm -hmm. have people show mm -hmm. up a half an hour late, not show up at all, and in the advent of cell phones, not even call. Uh, I had one gal who used to always uh, pull a no-show, and I always gave in. So finally I started really setting some hard boundaries, and I've got very hardcore boundaries about my time. And some people, you know, think that's a little bit negative or a little bit hardcore, but I've had way too many experiences with people who just didn't think that my business was important enough to give a little quick phone call if they can't make it. So that's been one of my non-negotiables. So I'm really curious about, for you guys, what are the ones like the boundaries, some of the boundaries that are absolutely essential. If you had to say what are maybe your top three boundaries what would they be? I'd like to hear both of you guys. Would you like to go first, Bree? Mm, no, I have to think about it. <laughs> okay. I, I can go. <laughs> no worries. Um, oh, and boy, I could say a lot about the time. Um, I actually turned the boundaries around to actually have them be values. And, so, mm. and that is actually what I build 
then use as the framework for my business what I what's important to me, what I value. So for me, one of those things would be kindness, and I can definitely translate that into what that would look like in terms of a policy, a procedure. But um, kindness will have to be one. Um, Depth would have to be another one. So I use those as gauges. But to kind of go back to answer your question, uh, for me, time is definitely something uh, that I value. And what I find is, I may be jumping again here a little bit, Teresa, to reel me back in if you if you need to. But oh, no, go go wild. Okay, go <laughs> for it. Okay. So, okay, so people respect your boundaries when you respect them. Mm-hmm. We cannot expect people to um, respect something if we don't respect it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if we're say, oh no, it's fine, you're late, that you know, da da da, let me make it up for you. Oh, here, let me cut into you this time. Guess what? <laughs> we just said, oh, that's it. Don't worry about it. When you finally start taking a stand, people shift. Either they will get with the program or they'll fade away. And guess what? They just respected your boundaries, as did you. So that until we um, you know, we make it really hard for other people to honor our boundaries when we don't honor them ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for mine, I, I like I like the way that you turned it around, Randy, and you talked about values because my the question that I was asking myself is, you know, well, what are my expectations of myself and what are my expectations of the people that I work with? And I think one is integrity. So, you know, really, I mean, obviously, like, honoring my time as a part of that, um, honoring their time as a part of that. But, but it, you know, it goes much deeper than that, and it has to do with being honest and showing up fully for whatever it is that we're doing and fully engaging. Um, and, you know, if we say that we're going to do something or if we say that we're going to be working on something, we're working on it, right, and the time in between whenever we need and whenever we need again. So that that for me is a really big one. And and I would say that honesty is a really big one. You know, that mm. like I had early on when I started, I had some clients who would tell me very one-sided stories. And, you know, and it was clear that like there was a lack of honesty and for a while, I kind of rode with that on the supposition that, you know, well, they are where they where they are. But what I realized is, you know, there's a difference between um, intentional deceit, however mm. lightly it's done, versus really not having a clear view of your whole situation. And mm-hmm. I realized that for me, working with people who engage in any kind of intentional deceit is just a deal breaker. Like, I, we just cannot work together, I'm not the right fit for that person. Um, and and the other one is, you know, really walking walking your talk. Like I I ask of my students and my clients to, you know, try to go out and live whatever it is that they that they find of greatest value. You know, that we're not just paying lip service to these things, but we're really trying to bring them into our daily lives. So those are a few of mine. And those are really sound, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love that you say about um, the integrity. I really agree with that. I was nodding my head while you were talking about (laughs) that, Bree. And, Randy, when you were talking about the kindness thing, that is also uh, something I was nodding my head at because, you know, the kindness thing is extremely important to me. I always, when I am dealing with a client, I'm 
always trying to be as pleasant as possible and show compassion. And if I have somebody who's mean or cruel, that's very hard for me to work with somebody like that because mm-hmm. it is it makes me feel really vulnerable and um, intimidated or scared. I don't know what the word is I want to use here. But when someone's really cruel, I just shrink. I don't like that. Or mm-hmm. I go the opposite and I get really angry and I don't like that either. So kindness is huge. I want nice people in my office. <laughs> yeah. Smart woman. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm high five in the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then so then going you know, going going from that point and I would like to talk a little bit at some point about what actually specifically goes into how we communicate our boundaries and teach our boundaries to the people that we work with, maybe mm-hmm. in some cases teach our boundaries to ourselves, like, oh, that matters to me. Okay, good. Right. Um, but, you know, say that you, you have, you're doing some boundary work, or maybe you're not, and you do have somebody who's difficult or rude or mean, a not kind person who sneaks in. Um, how do you deal with that person, you know, in, in that moment? Because, again, you know, for our crowd, especially in – I think our crowd is very similar to, you know, the coaching crowd, you know, teaching professionals, mm-hmm. so many of these service-oriented place, people, places and people. You know, we're, when, we confront, when we're confronted with rudeness or with cruelty, like you said, Teresa, we kind of mm-hmm. shrink back. So what, what, how do we deal with that in the moment when it happens? That's great. I, so I've got two things. Okay. Um, the, the first is... Um, if you have structured your boundaries, and I think this is what you're talking about in, in talking in a few minutes, but if you've structured your boundaries in a way that they are built on your values, it's pretty easy. So for you, Bree, if your one of your core values in your vis- business is integrity and you have your boundaries structured that way, you can take that value and turn it into a verb. So you know you need to handle the situation with integrity. You need mm-hmm. that person to be in integrity. You need to be in integrity. So that gives you a little bit of a guideline of how you, what needs to be done. And you can think, okay, what would integrity do? What would make this situation, um, be, you know, shift into integrity? If your value is kindness, what would kindness do? What would the kind thing do? What would add more kindness? You can ask questions like this by turning that value into essentially a verb. Now, if you don't have that, and then that just felt like a, a crap answer, <laughs> the other thing you can do um, that's really helpful for me, and, and I use it across all the coaching I do, not just the boundary work, is I say, take split second and think how, you know, in a year from now, how will you wish you would have handled this? Mm-hmm. And the reason I like that is it it's, it's counter to what everybody says is stay in the moment. It actually takes you out of the moment into this little tiny space where your brain can not be in a reaction mode mm-hmm. and think how or respond in reaction mode and think, how do I want to respond? How will I feel glad that I responded? Because in the moment, we almost want to like snap our wrists and say, and, you know, talk kind of a talk to the hand thing or just let somebody bowl us over. And looking back on that, that might not feel like exactly what you wanted to have done. So I think if you can take that split second and think, how will I be glad and proud that I responded to this, that gives you a lot of information about how how to handle it in the moment. 
Mm. That's really wise. And you're right. We 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 normally think about being right in this present moment. That's a a really big thing for these mm-hmm. mystically inclined people. So thinking about how I will feel about it a year from now, it's a very mm-hmm. it's a it's a paradigm shift for us. Mhm. And I think it's really helpful because it takes us out of the pumping adrenaline Mm-hmm. Or it gives you a little reprieve from it for a few minutes or a few seconds even. And that cortisol and adrenaline that's pumping into this place of looking back. I'm already through it. How did I handle it? And mm-hmm. what was I glad I did? And then do that. <laughs> um, doesn't always make it make it this super easy thing. And I think that's what a lot of people are expecting, that there's this going to be the super easy solution. Sometimes it's it's challenging to face mm-hmm. this. And I think a lot of people in the type of work you do and I do, and I think there, that there's a lot of space in the Venn diagram of that, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we, um, I totally forgot what I was going to say when I'm in my Venn diagram comment, but, um, easy. You were talking about how it's not, it's not always easy. Oh, thank Sometimes you. Thank it's you. a real challenge. Right. But that cut, when you can think about that, it energetically paves the way for it happening then you just walk that path as opposed to having to bushwhack it um, as you're doing it. I like that, too, because it feels like energetically to say, like, how will I feel about the way I handle this in a year? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like it it allows you to pan out a little bit and to see, you know, a pa- to see your pattern, what your pattern of response maybe has mm-hmm. been. And yes. is that, like, do you feel good about that? Does that feel right to you? <laughs> or do, is it time to break that pattern and to say, you know, because, right, you could ask that question and, and you could take over and the answer could be, I need to have a really hard line with this person and tell them to beat mm-hmm. it. And, and you know, and that, and that might be a break in your pattern of, of having always been acquiescing and accommodating. So exactly. I, I think that that's a really smart thing to do, and I think it's also – a very energetically sound practice. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It's really helpful. I do it myself. Yes. So, you know, we're talking about dealing with clients, but let's go and talk for a moment about the whole online thing. I think mm-hmm. you know, in this day and age, a lot of us are doing business online and we're doing things like, you know, sending emails, sending newsletters, we're guest posting, we're commenting on blogs, et cetera, et cetera, or being featured all over the place. And, you know, oftentimes that opens the door for um, online cruelty, such as trolls or people sending hate mail or leaving nasty comments. I would like to know some of the strategies that you would like to give us for dealing with online trolls or people who send you nasty emails. How do you deal with haters? What's the best way? Yeah, I've got a few. Um, I, I get a monthly letter from a, a very, they think they're a very well-meaning congregation um, in Missouri that tells me I'm trying to do God's work with maybe baby. <laughs> I should butt out. Um, so I get that. I go back to the analogy of how when I do Healthy Boundaries for Kind People, we set it all up like a garden because there are so many rich metaphors there and or a house. And when it comes to social media and the online world, uh, what I actually wrote about several years ago, and and I've seen a lot of people use it, which is really cool, I think of um, how I want to live my life in terms of a house or different aspects of my business. And social media for me is a living room. 
if I'm inviting people into my living room in my space, we're going to do things that would be appropriate to do in my living room or space, and I will handle them in a very similar way. So I can and then I also look at my values and um, go back to kindness and integrity, and the different values for or in different boundaries and different values for different things. But in my on social media, you know, if somebody is inappropriate or something, well, that's not going to happen in my living room. <laughs> so mm-hmm. how do I handle it then? Um, you know, Facebook walls are perfect examples of living room. I think um, blogs might be slightly different, but Facebook wall, um, is it something that would be okay for somebody to say in your living room? If not, you, how do you want to handle it? Is it for me, because the kindness is a huge value, I say, okay, what will bring this situation kindness? Is it me engaging with this person and maybe saying, wow, I don't appreciate that. This is another way to look at it. Um, thank you for sharing your comment. Or is the kind thing to do nothing? It's different. And a lot of, you know, we hear the don't feed the trolls um, motto, and I disagree. I sometimes really need to stand up for what's right for me. And, and if that, in my mind, adds kindness to the equation, um, the larger equation of the whole interaction or the world or whatever you want to look at into your life, then that's worth doing. If it's somebody who is committed to you being wrong, I have no no desire to engage with them. Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody who's open to um, conversation, that's very different for me. So really, for me, it depends on the situation, but I use those values or those boundaries as a gauge of what I want to do. And there are times where I do nothing. There are times when I have had lovely conversations with people that um, have really shifted things. And there are times where it's delete. <laughs> and I'm fine with all of that because it was honoring what was important to me. Um, so that's that's how I deal with it. The c- congregation in Missouri heard from me once and they have not heard from me again. Mm. <laughs> it's not where, it's not, and I'm not saying everybody in Missouri by any means, it's just this particular group is, um, feels very strongly about my baby, baby work. Bless their hearts. And um, they're really, they're committed to me being wrong. And so, you know, good luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Bree? How do you deal with that kind of energy? You know, I, so far, I I, I have, you know, I, I would say maybe a couple of times a year, I have people that will write me a letter or will, you know, private message me through social media and let me know why I'm wrong and and why everything I do is terrible. But mostly my community is really supportive and lovely and amazing. And, you know, I have a lot of different voices in my community. Like I was looking at my Archangel Michael petitions last night celebrating Michael Mass and you know, I have I have super devout Catholics and Christians in my community, and I have totally out amazing pagan people in my community and everyone in between. And, you know, we all get along for the most part. So I, I tend to really focus on that. When somebody does call me out, um, I am I my knee jerk reaction is to get into it with them. I was a Texas state champion debater, so I uh, <laughs> I, I like to argue. <laughs> I'm I'm totally comfortable going that route, and I would say that as I have gotten a little older, 
I've learned that, you know, that's not always the best use of your energy. I think nothing teaches you that, like having a child. I have a four-year-old. And, you know, for the past four years, there's been a lot of things that I just have chosen not to engage in because it, I just didn't have the bandwidth for that. And, mm-hmm. and, so, and that works out really well, too. And it's sort of like you, I don't have to respond to everyone. So I'm, I'm still, I would say, learning that lesson. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lesson, though, that is constantly evolving. This is just yeah. my theory here. Because, you know, sometimes you'll have a situation, and then you deal with it, and you set up a boundary, and all of a sudden something else happens. It's like, oh, I think I need to shift that boundary around a little bit. You know, so I think that those boundaries can shift. They can sometimes have to get reinforced or even taken down if it no longer serves your business. Yes, 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 I yes. Mean, <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Yes. That calibration is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I see oh, – sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, because I know, you know, I've been in business a long time. I've had to erect some really strong boundaries, and sometimes I've been like, eh, I don't need this boundary anymore. It's one I can kind of get rid of, you know. So I I know that I've been able to do that myself. So they do they can shift depending on the way you're doing business, et cetera, et cetera. Randy, you got really excited about that. Yeah. So tell us well, tell us about recalibration and tell us just generally speaking, like is there a process as we're discovering our boundaries? Like if somebody who this is brand new to them and they're like, boundary what? Sounds awesome. Where do I get one? Like, what, what do they do? Where do I, well, I, I would like to buy a boundary. I would like to buy a boundary. <laughs> get, a, get a multi-pack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, was, I was, again, high-fiving the air um, when Teresa mentioned that um, boundaries outgrow. It's a little bit like a crab shell. You outgrow it, and then you're ready for a different situation. But, and the last thing I'll say about that is, I use a lot of metaphors when it comes to boundaries. To me, boundaries are like a spine. They support you, but they need to bend and flex in in order to support you too. If they're too rigid, they will snap. And guess what? So do you. So those, you know, and in so many traditions, the spine is such an indicator of health in um, all sorts of medical traditions. So, um, you know, healthy spine, healthy boundaries. (laughs) <laughs> Let it bend and flex, and then it becomes very strong. So anyway, I just had to say that. So how do you get a boundary? Well, you I think a lot of people need to look at what they think boundaries means because mm-hmm. there are a lot of, um, particularly for very kind people, a lot of really negative connotations based on somebody's experience with boundaries. Either they've been on the receiving end of somebody executing them very poorly or they've seen people look like complete jerks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in a restaurant exploding or something like that. And, and kind people will not do something that feels unkind. And so often the boundary advice we get is not suited for uh, sensitive or kind people. So I, mm-hmm. that's why I'm such an advocate of kind, uh, healthy boundaries for kind people because it's a different set of skills. So how do you get one? That was a great question. You look <laughs> at what you think it means and then you find something that's better. So I have a lot of people who come to the course and they have, they know they need boundaries, but they're not really sure that they want to have boundaries because boundaries are this terrible thing or it hasn't worked for them in the past or it's backfired like crazy. So we redefine what a boundary is. And often the starting point for that is I say remove the word or let your, the word boundary mean respect. What changes? 
Mm. And everything shifts. And for most people, that is enough right there. Um, I might say if boundaries are a semi-permeable um, membrane where you can put things out but things can't come back in, like you're this amoeba that's shifting all the time, what does what is available to you then? And that's when people say, oh, yeah, I want boundaries. How do I get that? That's when you define – so you define what that needs to be for you in the way that will be in service, and then you look at your values, um, as I talked about before, and see what is most important to you. How, in terms of business, what do you want it to look like? What do you want it to be built upon? And that becomes the framing of the house of your business. Those are the studs in the wall. That's the foundation. And then, as I said, you turn that in, you turn those values into a verb. You build those. Um, you start being those. You walk the walk um, of what you're talking about. And this is my other one of my other metaphors. Boundaries are like a muscle. So at first, it's hard. <laughs> it's, you haven't used this muscle before. It feels really heavy and hard, and it might be really sore afterward after the first time or the second time but as you progressively use it you know even if you have to start with the small weights as you progressively use that that's going to get stronger and guess what you're ready to take the next step then so you get stronger you build strength um does that answer your question at all or is there yeah, a yeah. I, I do have a follow-up, though, and my follow-up is you said that people come to you, mm-hmm. you know, and they they have a sense that they need boundaries. And I wanted to ask, what are some of the telltale signs? I mean, I, I think, right, we, we really understand that we all need boundaries for, like, mm-hmm. the same reason that we all need skin. But mm-hmm. what are so when you're working with your people, what are some of the signs that, you know, okay, we really need to revisit the whole boundary thing right now because, you know, we need to get some something implemented here. Yeah, it's it could be really hard um, when people come. The main thing is I think you don't feel like you're being heard or mm. that people care what you say. Mm. It's like, oh, well, okay, well, that's nice. We're going to do what we want to do <laughs> anyway. Um, or people are, are hesitant to say anything. And so if you are starting to notice resentment, in places where you don't want resentment, that's a telltale sign mm-hmm. that there's probably some boundary issues there. If you are not feeling heard, if you feel completely depleted, um, as you, as um, Teresa opened with, if you have trouble saying no and feel guilty about that, big signs. Um, if you feel spread too thin, huge signs. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. feel like, and I think particularly in the work that we do, if you are taking your clients um, issues and or energy away from the session and taking that with you, boundaries, boundaries, red flag right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think those are all common things that people in, in our type of work uh, end up feeling at some point or another. I know for me that I've, back in, the, back in the day, before I had to get a little more hardcore, I would oftentimes take clients' energy with me Mm-hmm. Uh, or again, feel the one thing I would say I felt a lot of resentment when people would not show up for their appointments or show up really late or you know that kind of stuff really would would make me angry. It would make me feel like, wow, you do not care about my time. You're not treating it like it's valuable, and that led to those 
those resentment feelings that you're talking about. And that's not a good feeling. I don't like feeling mm-hmm. like that. Not mm-hmm. at all. So the yeah. question I want to go from that then is, so when you do with people, now you're, we're talking here about revisiting boundaries. Mm-hmm. What about how do you keep your cool when someone just steps right over your no? Like they don't want to hear your no. By the way, my my daughter's one of those people. So <laughs> I have a lot of practice with this one. But I want to know, um, you know, if you have a client or a peer who just doesn't respect your no, how how do you keep your cool, Randy? Mm, that's a really good question. So I think if you remember the how do I want to handle this from a year from now, that can be really helpful. Um, going going back to that. But the other thing is, I think you just just remind them of their boundaries. Like, so if somebody is, we'll just go to the boundaries uh, is a garden analogy because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're starting to walk in the place of a garden where you've just planted seed or fertilizer or, you know, whatever that area is, meaning it's a place in the garden where they just overstepped, you lie, you kindly remind you're about to step in shit. But <laughs> 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 you say that in a different way. <laughs> you say, oh. Oh, no, um, that's not going to work for me. Let's try this. And you offer, uh, you listen. You say, that's not going to work for me. You don't necessarily make it up. You stepped over my boundaries. You, whatever. Um, (laughs) You're just very kind about it and redirect them. Most people will totally get that you just redirected them and will be really grateful that you you handled it so classy. The people who don't, Bless their hearts. They just let you know they're not the right match for you. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you, you can let them know that. Say, you know, I don't think this is going to work. But it's super helpful. And actually something we I work with, again, across all my coaching, but especially in the course, is the work of John Gottman, who is a revered relationship therapist and who has written a lot, um, done a lot of research around um, intimate relationships and intimate partnerships. But his work is applicable to everybody. And so there are ways he talks about, and it's very similar to um, nonviolent communication, of getting that message across. But the main thing is we're not blaming. Mm -hmm. Because blaming automatically puts somebody on the defense, even if they messed up, even if they stepped in the shit, even if whatever. I hope that's okay to say on your podcast. Oh, it's totally fine in our podcast. Absolutely. And, but if if we're not putting, if we don't blame or don't phrase it that way, people won't come back on the defensive. And they're usually really glad you just helped course correct without um, them having to feel like they had to get into it. So that's how I keep my cool. I look at myself and say, okay, you know, Brie was talking about um, being the parent of a four-year-old, which I also am. And if I lose my cool, everything's going to go downhill, go down the toilet with him. So I have to be the parent in that situation and get us back on course. Yeah, yes. I hear it. Teresa, how do you do it? <laughs> Since you, it sounds like you have, you've got some loved ones who, I have a lot of loved ones in my family who are like this too, who don't get your no. How do, what, what do you do? What's your, what's your method? Well, you know, sometimes it really it comes down to having to get a little hardcore if it really gets pushed. But I practice mm-hmm. the nonviolent communication techniques that were taught by Marshall Rosenberg, mm-hmm. and it's really how it's it's the it's really the language of compassion. I think is what he calls it. 
and it's mm-hmm. helped me to really have better relationships with my family, especially with my children. I have grown children. I don't have the little ones around. So the wonderful thing about grown children is that you can have these adult compassionate conversations that they totally can understand. So that's how I practice it with my family. And I try to practice that with my clients, too, when they do just step over the no. And it usually works absolutely like a charm. And the the whole strategy behind the nonviolent communication is you let people know about this is what's bothering me and how it makes me feel. And then what you do is you also say in the future, can we agree to blah, blah, blah. And so it's like a little structured way of dealing with things. And it it really does work well because it's so respectful. It's really stating exactly how it made you feel. You know, so it I, I think it's really, it gets people to really hear you and it, it really provokes um, like empathy between both parties. So mm. I find it works like, like a charm. It's not that like communication is great. I, I studied with Marshall early on in my coaching career and I love that you, you, <laughs> you use that. Um, and I would also say if somebody needs a quick resource for that, he's got a book. And then also, um, Harriet Lerner, who mm-hmm. I can just have an altar to her. Um, I might. She <laughs> wrote these books in the 80s that I used to take from off my mom's shelf in the um, 70s and eight, like early 80s and read in The Dance of Anger. Boom. Yes. It's one of the best, best books for, um, and I think she also has The Dance of Communication, but that's, it, she's very much in the same vein and mm-hmm. so good at this. But I, what I just heard Teresa doing, if I can just do a little post-mortem on that, is you honored your value of respect. Mm-hmm. And you said, what will respect do? And you handled it respectfully. Yeah. And, you know, adult children, it's really interesting when we start talking about our children. Little kids, you learn a lot about boundaries too, but when you have adults, it is a whole different type of ball game and whole mm-hmm. different types of rules. And you learn a lot from them. And mm-hmm. so I really enjoy the whole process of being a parent. I think it's one of the ultimate lessons in boundaries. I really, I love, you know, Randy and I have sons that are the same age, and I don't know about you, but I, I have really loved learning what respect means as I, wor- as I work with Jasper, with my four-and-a-half-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think because, you know, I think for me, like, you know, in the adult world, it was sort of like I had all of these ideas about respect, but he has opened up just this entirely new realm of, okay, this is what respect looks like here when we have mm. our Spider-Man and our Silly Putty and we do not want to put it down <laughs> to have dinner ever. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. But I, lo- I love that. I think that that's so right and so smart, Teresa, that's cool. with the way that you engage with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, with adult kids, if you don't do it, you are quickly going to have bigger <laughs> problems with them than you can have with a four-year-old. So you've got to get the communication and boundaries set. And, you know, the, the wonderful thing with them, too, what I, I love about my children is because I've used this example, and, again, you can take this right back to business, they've also used it with me. Uh, I had a conversation mm-hmm. with my son recently, and I was being a meddling mother, and he had to tell me that, you know what, this is my life and this I'm a grown man. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right, you're right. And so I had to really come at it from that perspective. But that also reminds me then when I am dealing with clients and when I am letting them know how I feel, that I also want to make sure that I'm bringing a lot of awareness to their reaction, 
that I'm still going to come back then and also say, hey, it's okay, let's move beyond this, which is what my mm-hmm. son and I did. So, again, you just learn so much from these kids. I, I was reading a book by a tarot reader, and she was saying that her attitude was, you know, the reader has no responsibility for the way that the client reacts. And I thought, I thought, wow, that's, you know, I like, I see what she's saying, and obviously it works for her, so rock on. But, but I was like, you know, for me and for my people, like I, you know, when we're talking, like I want to deliver accurate information, but I want to deliver it in a way that it's really heard mm-hmm. as well, and not mm-hmm. and not leaving somebody feeling. Like you know, like like the epitome of the tower card, where the rug has been pulled out from under them, and everything is falling apart, you know, and they've been set on fire, and uh, and so I, I think that's a great example. And you know, it it brings us to another question for you, Randy, which is how can you best care for your clients without carrying their baggage with you? You mentioned this earlier, yeah. And mm-hmm. and so what? Like well, this is a big one. So what's your what's your two cents on this one. Mm. So if, if I um, start carrying their bags for them, I'm not available to do what they need me to do, mm. so to speak. So uh, I'll use a little visual here. Glenda the Good Witch. She, yes. came, she comes to Dorothy. <laughs> she comes down beautifully, impeccably dressed in this really cool bubble. And that's kind of what I do with when I'm working with clients. I have this semi-permeable membrane bubble, and I can let things go out, but I have to, I get to be really clear about what comes in because once it infiltrates that space, I become a product of that space. Mm-hmm. That that whatever energy is now in the bubble, and I'm breathing it, and I um, am not breathing what I need to to be able to be in service to them. So. It's really tough when you're a really empathetic person, but I think you really need to shift it to see how not going into that space with them serves them. So you can visit that island for a little bit where they're on, but you Mm -hmm. get to leave. And you Mm -hmm. need to leave in order to go back and get fresh supplies in order to be there the next time. If you stay on that island with them, you're both going to starve. You know, that reminds me, there's there's an old analogy and you're totally, I, I use this one all the time, uh, it's a story about a man who's in a well, and mm. he's down there crying for help, and another guy comes along and looks down and sees him in there, and he jumps down in there, and now they're both in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do that. We do not want to be the guy in the well with the other guy in the well. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So we're. I mean, I think, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, make it a little bit analogous to somebody who's dealing with addiction. We don't necessarily hop on the bandwagon with them or whatever right. the appropriate term is in order to help them. We stay, we're in a different spot because we can help from there. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to be in the same space and, and having the same, you know, really um, relating at the same, from the same place because we're not in a place to support and help. Right. I like it because, you know, the way that you've spoken all night tonight, Randy, it's like, you, your work helps us redefine and deepen our understanding of boundary, but it also helps us deepen our understanding of kind, of what it means to be kind, right? Good. That's right. Yay. You don't have to be mean to have boundaries, even though, you know, I think sometimes we feel mean when we do set those boundaries, but it's not mean. It's the kindest thing you can do. 
Yeah, like just just that wow. illustration of, you know, like you think that it's really kind. Many of us think it's really kind to like take this to jump into the well, right? I think that's a perfect illustration. But it's actually that's not the kind thing to do because you know, we're, we're both stuck and nobody's getting help. So it's really it's, it's beautiful. I really like it. Good. I'm I'm glad because I, I think what I, I there's a very big difference between nice and kind. And I think when people are talking about what is the kind thing to do, they're thinking what would be nice. And nice mm. is pleasantries, and nice is um, polite. But nice doesn't save the world. It's kind that does. And sometimes kind means taking a hard stand. Sometimes kind, doing so kindly, but that can still be a hard stand. And sometimes the kind thing is walking away from the situation so that you're no longer condoning it. The kind thing to me is saying to somebody, you know what, I don't think this is the best you can do. I see you can do better, and I'm going to hold you to that standard because I think you can do it. And when we let somebody get away with something, for lack of a better term, we're basically saying, yeah, you can't do any better. Mm. Mhm. Mhm. Mm. So we're coming down to the close of the show, and I want to talk for a moment about your remarkable program called Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. I took this program, I think, when you first offered it. Mm-hmm. It was super helpful to me because boundaries is one of my biggest issues, and it's something that... Again, I've had to refine and work on, and I'm still a work in progress, Randy. <laughs> but uh, your program helped a lot, and I know the doors are opening up soon. So I'd love it if you can tell our audience a little bit about this program and how they might get into your world and sign up for it or the the other wonderful programs that you offer. Oh, and thank you for that opportunity. So um, Healthy Boundaries for Kind People uh, is a six-month program, and and I think um, in the initial stages it was much shorter. It was about six weeks, and I have expanded it to six months because after doing it a few times, I saw the depth of which this went, and I didn't think a quick adjustment um, was going to do the justice that the work needed to be done. Uh, that needed to be done to really make lasting permanent change. Uh, very helpful, but I, I could saw where we could go deeper. And so it's a six-month program uh, where there is a new module um, every other week and then a super active Facebook group. I'm really active in offering people support with that. My work is very experiential, so I don't necessarily just say read this and um, you know, and go make a vision board and, and then be done with it. I really like to give people – which can be helpful, but it doesn't have to be all of it. I really like to give people ex- the experience of doing things differently. So I come from this place of boundaries are an act of kindness. They are a way to actually let kindness be your superpower in the world, and that's the perspective. So we, um, like I said, six months, I have um, live calls, uh, several live calls. I have hot seat coaching, and it is an absolute life changer. That's what people have said, and some people have taken it a couple of times um, just because, you know, I, I believe in the whole spiral dance concept that sometimes it feels like we're in the same spot again, here I go, but we're actually getting deeper to the core, and sometimes it takes a couple of rotations to get, you know, constantly pulling into different levels. Um, it opens for registration October 5th, which is next Monday, and it's starts October, or excuse me, November 13th is when we start. And then I'm also really excited, um, and really by 
demand, which I was happy to accommodate because it's one of my very favorite things, is in January, I'm starting a Healthy Boundaries for Kind People facilitator and coach training. And that's for Mm. uh, people who work with others. So you have to already be either a leader of people or a coach or doing some sort of service with others to really help them create uh, boundaries that work for them. And it's not a blueprint saying this is what you need to do. It's really about finding your unique needs and values and ways of communicating that. That's actually a really big part of that, is to be able to communicate your boundaries in a way that feels good to you. Well, I will tell everybody who is listening that your program is amazing and Mm, you're really there for people. So they do get a lot from you, and I would highly recommend that anybody with a boundary issue, even if you're not running a business, really check out the Healthy Boundaries for Kind People because you're going to get strategies for your life, not just your business. I think it's really remarkable. So, you know, Randy, I, I really think people need to sign up for it because I've done it, and I can attest that it's wonderful. Well, thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. So we are now down to the last moments, and Bree, I think you need to give people a heads up on what we have coming up next month. Yes, absolutely. So next month we're going to mix it up a little bit. We'll be meeting on Wednesday, October 28th at 8 p.m., our normal time, and we will be talking about podcasting. And it's actually perfect. I was just talking with a client of mine, and they were asking me all about podcasting. And we're going to talk with Jessica Cooperman, who is a podcasting phenom and expert. And she will be able to tell us all about the art and science of the podcast, which Teresa and I, what are we? We're in year three, and we're still learning, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, Jessica runs a wonderful podcasting school for women and She's doing some amazing things to get women especially excited about doing podcasting, and it's been a real big journey with us, and I've loved every minute of it. But the more information we get on this, the better we get with our craft. So I'm excited about this show, and I think it's going to be useful for our audience. So good stuff coming up. Very much so. I want to thank you, Randy, for spending this evening with us and teaching uh, us and our audience so much about boundaries. Thank you so, so much for being here. My pleasure. This was any, I'll hang out with you two anytime. That was great. I'm, it was I'm down really with that. Great. I loved it. I loved it. You, you rock. You and, have great questions. And Randy, where can people find you again just to make sure we get that in? Sure. My name, Randy with an I, R-A-N-D-I-B-U-C-K-L-E-Y dot com, Randy Buckley. All right, guys, and for everybody who's listening, I want to thank my audience tonight for showing up and being here with us tonight. My name is Teresa Reed. You can always find me at thetarolady.com. And, Bree, will you tell people where they can find you? (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. It's so nice to, quote, unquote, see you all. You can find me at briannasaucy.com, and we hope that this has been a useful show. I know it certainly has for us, and that you all have a really great evening. Good night, everyone. Good night.